please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, as we prepare our hearts to hear from God's Word this morning. Good morning. My name is Ish, and uh, as Billy said, today's scripture passage is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 15 from the NIV. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is God's word. Thanks, Ish. We are spending the rest of the summer looking at what Jesus taught about prayer, asking, what is prayer? Why is it essential? And how? Do we pray? Today we come to verse 12 of Matthew chapter 6 in the Lord's Prayer in the topic of forgiveness. And it is so vital that we do. So let's pray now together and let's ask God to teach us together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ through which we can be saved and forgiven. We pray that you would teach us what it means to ask you for forgiveness on a daily basis, what it means to offer forgiveness to others on a daily basis. You know our lives. You know our situations. You know the difficult circumstances in which Forgiveness is needed. I pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to grasp anew and afresh, or for some for the first time, the power of the forgiveness that you provide and how it changes our lives. Would you do that today? We ask together in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Well, one night in London, the famous playwright Noel Coward pulled an interesting prank. He picked out 20 of the most famous people in town and wrote to them the same identical anonymous note and he put it in their mailbox to see what would happen. And the note simply read, quote, everyone knows what you are doing. 
if I were you, I would get out of town. <laughs> and apparently it worked because the next morning, all 20 of them left London. Now, why did this prank work? Why did a fake, anonymous note to 20 different people work? Well, the answer is simple. They all had a guilty conscience. I wonder how you and I would respond if we came home today and found in our mailbox a note saying, I know what you did. <laughs> Leave Ventura County immediately. You'd be like, Ugh. It, it may bring up some areas where you also have guilt. See, every one of us, to one degree or another, we have this desperate need to deal with our guilt. And this is where the beauty and power of the Bible's teaching on forgiveness comes into view. See, it's thought by many people that to be a Christian is basically to, to walk around feeling guilty all the time, as if this is some regressive state of mind left over from the Middle Ages. Now, I'm going to deal with that objection in a few moments, but it simply isn't true that our modern culture has provided the answer to guilt. Far from it. Uh, one author, uh, she's not a Christian, she put it like this. Devorah Baum says, if religion often gets the blame for framing man as a sinner, the secular effort to release man from his guilt hasn't offered much relief. Can we get an amen? I've heard a few amens. You might even say it's the opposite, and our digital age has amplified it. Think about it. Therapists, educators, authors, and voices on social media are trying to deal with guilt. In fact, if you look beneath the surface under a lot of our anger, anxiety, insecurity, and frustration, often you will find guilt. So the question is, where do I find relief? The answer is forgiveness. Now, we've noticed in our study over the last few weeks of the Lord's Prayer that it begins with a focus on God's glory and His kingdom in the first few lines. But then halfway through, it turns a corner to our needs in the second half. Last week in particular, we learned about our need to ask God for our daily bread, to pray for all of our practical needs. And for that reason, some may feel that the turn into this heavy topic of forgiveness feels sharp and jarring. But I want you to know that the themes are linked. In making the connection between food and forgiveness, John Stott says this, forgiveness is as indispensable to the life and health of the soul as food is for the body. This theme of forgiveness is related to our problem of guilt. And I want us to see this morning that forgiveness has both a vertical and a horizontal dimension. And we'll look at it under each heading. 
that forgiveness must be received, forgiveness must be offered, and forgiveness must be secured. But we start here, forgiveness must be received. That is, we must ask, we must pray for forgiveness. Just as we need daily bread to live and not die, in a deeper way, we need forgiveness so that we might live and not die. Why? The simple answer is this. Because we all owe to God a debt we cannot pay. Now, many people are familiar with the Lord's Prayer. Even if you're not a Christian or haven't been a Christian for a long time, you've probably heard the Lord's Prayer in a book you've read or a film you have watched. And when you have, you may come to the line in verse 12 and notice that different words are used. If I were to ask everyone right now to recite the Lord's Prayer out loud from memory, it would all sound similar until we come to verse 12 because some people say debt and other people say trespasses, which adds a few more syllables and it gets a little chaotic in a public environment. So you might say, well, what's the difference in the translation? Some say, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Others say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Well, there are two different words, but they're really two sides of the same coin. The idea is generally the same for both. That is, we have all crossed the line. We have all done things that we should not have done. And we have left undone things we should have done according to God's perfect standard. In all cases, we are debtors before God. See, think about all the wrong things we've done towards each other, the wrong things that people have done towards you. Here's something important that you need to understand about what the Bible teaches about sin and wrong and this kind of debt. All the wrongs and sins that we have done towards one another, they all flow from a trespassing against God's perfect law which means that we are in debt to God before we're in debt to anyone else. As it's been said, you never break any of the Ten Commandments without breaking the first commandment. You never steal. You never lie. You never cheat on your spouse unless you have first worshipped something other than God in his place. It's because we've broken the first commandment, thou shalt not have any other gods before me, that we then break all the other commandments. If we truly put God first, he tells the truth, and so we want to tell the truth. He is faithful, and so we want to be faithful. He would never steal from us, and so we would not steal from others. But because we've broken the first commandment, we've broken all the other commandments. It's because we don't first honor God that we then do not honor one another. I want you to see that sin has both a vertical and a horizontal element. Not all sins that we commit towards one another are all the same in their effect or their impact. But all sin, no matter what manner, in attitude or action, is a sin against God. 
and therefore we are all guilty and in debt to him. And notice actually in verse 12, the word debt is plural. Forgive us our debts, for there are many. Every single sin in attitude and in action deserves God's righteous displeasure and his judgment. After all, he's a just God. If he only judged or cared about one sin and not another, he would be an unjust God and not worthy of worship. I say this because we might highlight or emphasize one sin above another, and though, yes, there may be a different impact socially, all of us have sinned before God, and because he is just, he cannot ignore our sin. He cannot, and he will not. He is just, and he is righteous, and when we sin, there is debt, there is guilt. Now, the question is, what do we do with that guilt? What do we do with that debt? Because let me tell you right now, everyone is trying to do something about their guilt. It doesn't matter whether you're friends or your family and they're not religious and they've never been to church once in their life or ever read a sentence of scripture. Everyone, everywhere is trying to do something about their guilt and their shame and this sense of debt. And I've noticed in my own life, as well as the lives of others, that there are two primary ways we try to deal with our debt. We either try to bury it or carry it. And chances are, many of us are trying to do one or both of those things, even with our own debt. Let's think about this for a moment. Some of us, the way we deal with our guilt or our debt is we try to bury it. We try to distract ourselves from that guilty feeling, from where we have conviction of wrong. We, we medicate. We binge watch on Netflix to entertain ourselves so we don't have to think about the wrong that we did. We distract ourselves with substances or experiences that will hopefully remove the pain of guilt. We don't like that feeling that we're in debt and so we just want to move on. I heard a terrifying story in an interview the other week. It was an interview with a, an older, wiser pastor who's now retired, and I was listening to this, this podcast interview because I want to I learn, and the podcast episode was terrifying because it was about ministers who fail. Dun, dun, dun. I was like, ah, I want to listen to this. I, I don't want to fail, so what do I need to learn? The reason this example was terrifying is because this older, wiser pastor was telling a story about another pastor. Many years before, this other pastor preached regularly in the pulpit of his church, all while having and maintaining an extramarital affair. He was cheating on his wife. And here's what would happen. You might think, well, how could someone do that? Get up there and preach the word of God. Well, they told the story. Every week, this man, knowing that he's having this extramarital affair, cheating on his wife, 
He comes to Friday and he's got to study the word of God. And as he's studying the word of God, he comes under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And he's like, oh, what I'm doing is so wrong. And he would make a promise to God. God, please just, just get me through this weekend. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to stop it right now. As soon as I get past this weekend, I'm going to turn things around. I'm going to make that phone call. I'm going to cut off the relationship because he couldn't handle that burden of his own guilt. But then Sunday would come and he'd preach an excellent sermon. He was a gifted orator. And people would come up and say, oh, that was so good. Oh, that was excellent. I was so ministered to. And he got such a high from the affirmation and the feedback of the people that it made him forget that pain of conviction that he felt on Friday. And he thought to himself, well, the sermon was so good, so I guess my sin must not be so bad, so I guess I'll just continue it. And he would continue in his affair. And then Friday would come, he'd feel the guilt, he'd make a promise to God, and then he'd preach another sermon, live off of the high, distract himself away from the pain of his guilt, move on and repeat. Terrifying. What was he trying to do? Bury his debt. He was trying to bury it. Many people are trying to bury it. We distract ourselves or we shift the blame. We say, well, other people, well, they're far worse. Have you ever seen Reality Ventura? It's a cesspool of sin as far as I'm concerned. Why are you talking about my sin? They're the problem. How many of us this morning are just dealing with debt or guilt by trying to bury it? Now, some of you say, oh, I don't do that. I'm trying to be a good person. Okay, well, you're trying to carry your guilt. Some of us bury our guilt, try to ignore it, distract our attention away from it. Other people, and this is the temptation of religious people, they try to carry their guilt. They say, I know it's wrong, but I am going to crush this. I'm going to get spiritually fit and strong. I'm going to do so many good deeds. I'm going to advertise to the world via the internet about how good I'm doing so that I get the applause, so that I feel a little bit better about my moral effort. I'm going to go on Nextdoor. I'm going to use the app. I'm going to tell everyone of my good deeds because I'm a reformed man and I saved a kitten today and I picked up somebody's trash bin. I'm killing it. Many people are trying to carry their guilt self-transformation, moral effort. No, I've got this. I'm going to make the payment for my guilt. Well, whether you're trying to bury your guilt or carry your guilt, let me tell you right now, neither will ever work. It'll never be enough to bury your guilt. It will never be enough to carry your guilt. So what do we do? We ask for forgiveness. See, isn't this wonderful? Verse 12 is marvelous. God could have said, hey, here's how to pray. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And God, help me to try to pay my debt a little bit more this week so I can be good. He could have said that, but he doesn't. Nor does he just leave us in our guilt. He says, pray like this. Forgive my debts. When we pray, forgive us of our debts, we are asking God to cancel the debt we have with him because of our sin. And we are asking him to remove the burden of our guilt. Now, this prayer is both convicting and marvelously encouraging. 
It's convicting because it means you and I have to acknowledge that we have a debt. It means we have to acknowledge that we, we have sin. But it's encouraging because we can be forgiven of our sin. The weight can be removed. No more burying our debt. No more trying to carry our debt. The weight is removed, friends. This is the good news of the gospel is you can be forgiven. If you're with me, say amen. This is glorious, glorious news. That God, who's the creator of the world, He's a righteous judge, but he's also your loving heavenly father. Doesn't ask you to bury or carry the debt of your sin. But he offers forgiveness. So the question for you this morning, first and foremost, is do you recognize your debt? Have you recognized your need to be forgiven? And do you ask for forgiveness? To put it simply, we're told to pray this daily, regularly. God, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my debts. See, oftentimes our prayers can be so consumed with with other needs that we forget to ask for forgiveness. In fact, author Anne Lamott, who's quite famous, she she wrote a book on prayer, and she said there's three major elements to, to prayer, and it's help, thanks, Wow. (laughs) And certainly those three aspects can describe aspects of prayer. We come for help. We say, wow, God, you're awesome, and we give gratitude. But there's one element missing. It should be help, thanks, wow, sorry. I'm sorry I've sinned. Forgive us our debts. God wants you to be changed. He wants you to be transformed. He does not want you to live in patterns of sin. And he wants you to be delivered from the weight of guilt. And one of the biggest evidences that you've received this forgiveness is that you extend forgiveness to others. That's the second heading. What does it mean for us to pray this part of the Lord's Prayer? Well, forgiveness must be received. We must ask for forgiveness from God. But secondly... Forgiveness must be offered. Notice the line. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Vertically, before God, forgiveness is something we must receive. But horizontally, forgiveness is something we must offer to others. And notice, this point is so important to Jesus that after giving us this model prayer, he touches on the issue of forgiveness once again in verses 14 and 15. Listen to what he says. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins... Your Father will not forgive your sins. That's a weighty sentence. What does it mean? Does it mean, is Jesus saying, if you forgive, you go to heaven. If you don't forgive, you go to hell? You might reasonably ask, wait a minute. I thought we were saved by grace and not by works. And you would be right. But you need to know this. 
Forgiveness is the evidence of your faith. Forgiving other people does not earn you life. Forgiving other people is the evidence that you've been given life. See, don't misunderstand Jesus in verses 14 and 15. Jesus is not saying that you must earn forgiveness by forgiving others. That's not what he's saying. Rather, the evidence that you've been forgiven is that you forgive others. Or to put it simply, forgiven people forgive people. What he's saying is this. If you refuse forgiveness to another person, then you are cutting yourself off from the same source of forgiveness that's coming to you. Why? Because there's only one source by which we are forgiven. One source by which others are forgiven. And that is the work of Jesus Christ. So to refuse forgiveness to others is like cutting off the very branch that you're sitting on with a saw. It's like being in a house and you're mad at someone and you don't want them to drink water. So you call the, the water and power company and tell them to shut off water to the entire house. Guess what? You're not only going to starve that person of water, but yourself as well. And so Jesus gives us this warning. Forgiveness is the evidence of faith. And what Jesus teaches us here in Matthew chapter 6, he illustrates later on in Matthew chapter 18 through a parable, a story that's worth quoting in its entirety. It is powerful. Jesus says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had to be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before the king. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father 
Jesus says, will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now, what are we to take away from that? What does that mean for us? Well, the only way to really get the point of this parable is to understand the size of the debt, the enormity of the debt. The commentators tell us that this servant owed their master what in today's money would be the equivalent of six billion dollars. Six billion dollars, astronomical debt. That's why it says his wife and family and himself all had to be put into servitude because back then there was no chapter 11. If you had a debt you couldn't pay, you became an indentured servant. That's how it worked. But what does the king do? The king absorbs the debt. It's an interesting thing about forgiveness and debt. The debt doesn't just magically disappear, right? Today, imagine you get in the mail, not an anonymous prank, but you get a letter from your credit card company and MasterCard, out of the kindness of their hearts, say, today is a jubilee day and we have decided to cancel all your debt. You would be like, yes! But you need to know that the money doesn't just disappear. It's not like they waved their wand and it's magic. It means that the company chose to absorb the cost. Let me give you another example. If you came over to my my house and I let you in on my garage, I, I have these great guitars there. They're not cheap. I'll just say that. Let's say in a moment of exhilaration and you're just enjoying and taking in the sights and sounds of my garage that you knock over my guitar and it breaks and I weep uncontrollably in the fetal position (laughs) and then I say to you I forgive you what am I doing I'm absorbing the cost I'm saying you don't have to pay to replace the guitar you don't have to pay to get it fixed, but someone's got to pay. I'm going to absorb the cost. That's what forgiving a debt means, and it's demonstrated by this master. And the servant should have been so melted and reshaped by the enormity of his debt being canceled, but this servant was not. This servant was not transformed by mercy, and he showed this in the way that he responded to other people. What should have turned him into a humble servant, he used as a license to become an evil tyrant. He goes out and finds someone who owes him basically a couple hundred bucks and throttles the guy and says, pay what you owe. He treats his equal as though he were superior. Notice it says there, fellow servant. And so the wicked servant is called back into the master or the king and he is made to pay for his debt. In short, the servant, this wicked servant, was not changed by the forgiveness offered to him. And as a result, he did not offer it to others. It is interesting to note at the beginning of the story when the wicked servant is brought before the king and has to deal with his debt, he actually doesn't ask for forgiveness. He just asks for more time to pay which shows that he was unaware of the magnitude of his debt or his inability to pay it. 
And that showed in the way that he treated other people. What does that mean for us? Because Jesus says to pray like this, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. See, let's be honest, this is hard. It is hard to forgive people. When it comes to other people forgiving us, like listen, when it comes to the sins of other people, it's simple. You're like, put them in jail, make them pay. But when it comes to us, when it comes to our sin, oh, it's complicated. Oh, you don't understand. Life is hard. I know I sinned against you, but ah, it's a little more complicated with me. You, no, you go to sin jail. You're done. But when it comes to me, oh, it's, it's, it's complicated. See, unforgiveness, when it comes to other people's sin and debt, unforgiveness looks like this. In your mind, you make them pay their debt. And though you may not always want them to pay their debt in one fell swoop, you put them on a payment plan. And with a relative or a friend, it's usually over the course of years with little comments you leave. You remind them of their sin constantly. Like, oh, hey, brother, hey, sister. Yeah, you can come on over, surely, yeah. Of course you can. I mean, I'll be sure to, you know, watch out in case you sin against me again. <laughs> Better hide my money so you don't steal from me again. Oh, I'm just kidding, not kidding. Just... We replay the event over and over again in my mind, which tends to fuel our anger and bitterness. And instead of offering forgiveness, we demand payment. The wicked servant did not ask him for mercy. The wicked servant was only concerned with payment, and payment is what he will get. I want to be very clear here. To refuse God's forgiveness, to turn away from the mercy that God extends to you, is to go in the direction of an eternal prison where your cellmates will be anger, bitterness, and unforgiveness for eternity. That is hell. The person who says to another, I will never forgive you, is the person who's only aware of the sins of other people, but not their own. But not to forgive another person of their debt against you is to forget that God has forgiven you of your debt against him. So this is a call to that first point. We must receive forgiveness. And we must remember that the enormity of the debt that we owed to God. And when you see that, when you know that, when, when you realize like I'm a sinner with a debt I could never pay and that God has forgiven you, it becomes the power that enables you to forgive others. To be clear again, forgiving other people is not the reason for your salvation. Forgiving other people is the result of your salvation. If God has forgiven you, you must forgive others. Now, I want to talk about how in just a moment, but let me give three practical, important clarifications because forgiveness is a very difficult thing. 
And these clarifications are important. First of all, forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. You can and should offer forgiveness to someone who has wronged you. But it's their choice to receive that forgiveness. And if they do not receive your forgiveness, then you cannot be reconciled. If they are unwilling to repent or to turn away from their wrongdoing and their sin, you cannot be reconciled. So you should offer forgiveness, but it's not the same thing as reconciliation. That's an important clarification. Related is the second clarification. This is also important. Offering forgiveness and offering trust are two different things. Offering forgiveness and offering trust are two different things. You should forgive other people, but it does not mean that they are worth your trust. To forgive does not mean that you make it easy for people to repeatedly sin against you. It doesn't mean that you are a doormat. In fact, it's unloving to make it easy for people to sin against you. Forgiveness and putting up boundaries, that's not incompatible. I say this because sadly, in a lot of my pastoral experience, I've talked to a lot of people who've been abused in a home and they've had to ask the abuser to leave. And when we talk about forgiveness, in their minds, they think, well, if I forgive them, I have to let them back in and give them access to us. And I say, no, those are two different things. You need to forgive them, which means you are not going to make them pay. But it's also unloving to make it easy for them to sin against you. They need to earn and build trust. And so it is right to set up boundaries. It is wise to set up boundaries for someone who is unrepentant and who is going to harm you. Just make sure that when you set up those boundaries, it's as protection, not as payment. And so you need to watch your own heart. Offering forgiveness and offering trust, they're not the same thing. And you need to know that. You can forgive someone and also set up boundaries. But the third thing is this. Forgiveness doesn't mean that sin is okay. See, a lot of people think, oh, forgiveness, oh, it's, just, you know, oh, it's nothing. Oh, it's just nothing. That's not what forgiveness means. In fact, to forgive is to blame. I wonder if we thought about it this way. To forgive someone is to actually blame them of wrongdoing. Here's, a, here's an experiment. When you go out today, why don't you walk up to a random stranger and say, I forgive you. And just see what happens. They're going to be anger. They're going to be irritated. Why? Because to say I forgive you implies they've done something wrong. So when we say you should forgive someone, we're not saying, you know, oh, it's fine. It's nothing. Just water under the bridge. Forgiveness doesn't mean that sin is okay. It's acknowledging the wrong. Miroslav Volf who is a Croatian man who grew up in a country that was war-torn and saw so much injustice and wrote a fantastic book on forgiveness. He says, to be just is to condemn the fault. And because of the fault, condemn the doer as well. To forgive is to condemn the fault, but spare the doer. That is what the forgiving God does. But how do we do that? Well, remember the parable of the master of the king? There are three things that he did. He had compassion. He absorbed the debt. 
and he set the servant free. And friends, that's how you and I can forgive even today. First of all, you have to have compassion for that person even if they've wronged you. Secondly, you absorb the debt, meaning I'm not going to make them pay. And third, you set them free. You stop replaying the failures in their mind. And this is good for your own heart because to live in unforgiveness is to live in something like a prison. Now you might say, well, how can I do that? See, we can only receive forgiveness and offer forgiveness if there's a reason. And that leads to the last point. Forgiveness must be secured. There needs to be a reason for forgiveness. The reason we can receive forgiveness for our debt and forgive other people for their debts is because Jesus paid for all of our debt. See, friends, here's the gospel. Ultimately, Jesus is the king, and we are the servants who owe a debt that you and I, we could never repay. But the gospel says that the king actually became a servant. 2,000 years ago, the son of God, Jesus, came into our world, and he lived perfectly on our behalf. And when he went to the cross, he died in our place. Why? To pay the debt of sin that we owed so that we could have the life that he was owed. See, Jesus is the perfect king. He had compassion on us. Jesus had no reason to forgive us. There was nothing that we did that we got his attention or earned his favor that he said, oh, look at him. It's not because of what was in us that Jesus' heart went out. It's because of what was in him. The book of Romans says, even while we were sinning against him, Christ died for sinners. It was not based on our performance. It was not based on whether or not we had earned it. Jesus, his heart went out to us. He absorbed the debt on the cross and he sets us free. On that day, Jesus put himself in the place that we belong so that we could be put in the place that he belongs. And so church, know this. Christian forgiveness is not offered based on how we feel about it or whether or not we think others have earned it. It is offered because Jesus secured it. And so when Paul the Apostle tells us to forgive, here is his reason in Ephesians 4. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Friends, this is all about the forgiveness secured for us in Jesus for those who think that Christianity is just about walking around with guilt all the time or putting a bunch of guilt on everyone else, you need to remember the truth of the gospel. Let me give you three things about the forgiveness that God offers you and to this world. Number one, God forgives immediately. Have you ever thought about that? God doesn't say, I will eventually forgive you of your sins if you ask for forgiveness today. 
He doesn't say, I'm going to put you on a payment plan. I'll forgive 10 of your sins this week, 17 next week, and the final 37 before the end of summer. And you're like, great, sounds like a deal. Just like my credit card. God forgives immediately. Secondly, God forgives completely. He doesn't say, I'll forgive you some of your sins. 80% today. And you're like, I'll take it, Lord. I'll deal with the other 20. Just give me some time to pay. The work of Jesus Christ on the cross is so finished that God forgives you immediately. He forgives you completely. And thirdly, he forgives you graciously. It's on the basis of Jesus, not on the basis of your effort. So great is the gospel, friends, that 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he looks at you as your accepted, as his accepted son or daughter through Christ. Beloved, robed in the righteousness of Jesus. It's the beauty of the gospel. He sets us free. The cross shows us the enormity of our debt. It was so bad that Jesus had to die. But the cross also shows us the greatness of his love. He was glad to die because it meant setting you free. And Jesus says, he who has been forgiven much, loves much. When Peter asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive? Up to 70 times. And what did Jesus say? I say to you, 70 times seven. Because when you look at the cross and you see how your infinite debt was paid by Christ, you stop counting. And you say, I've been forgiven a debt I could never pay. And as your heart is melted by that and experiences the healing of that forgiveness, he turns you into, by the same resource, a forgiving person. So this morning, let us receive forgiveness. And let us offer forgiveness because Jesus has secured forgiveness. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have made a way for sinners in eternal debt to you to be forgiven forever. God, I pray that all of us would know the freedom of forgiveness today. That as we have this time where we respond, that we would experience that promise if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us. Because Jesus paid the debt. God, I pray that you would, for people who are just trying to bury or carry their guilt and debt today, set them free as they receive forgiveness from you today. And God, I pray that you would grant us the grace to offer forgiveness to others. 
knowing that it doesn't mean that sin doesn't matter. It doesn't dismiss the hurt or the pain. It's not the same thing as offering trust. But this forgiveness is on the basis of the finished work of Jesus. And it is on the basis of that that we forgive. God, would you bring us to the cross this morning? And I pray that we'd feel these weights lifted. I pray that we would feel wounds healed as we come to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.